Pod. Pod. Welcome back, Pod. everybody, to another episode of Say Who Say Pod. 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 I was a little late. I was a little late. I was trying to hit it, but I was a little late. <laughs> He's Danny O'Neill. I'm Christian Capel. The Washington Huskies are 9-0 after a 52-42 win at USC. Uh, the Huskies and Trojans will will take their rivalry from the Pac-12 to the Big Ten, Danny, with Washington having won three of its last four at the Coliseum. How about which that? Is, which is wild, which is as many victories as they had in damn close to the previous 50 years combined. It's like that fact is wild. Three is of the it, last four. Is it more wild that they've won three of four or that it it's taken since 2010 for them to play four games at the Coliseum? It has worked out a little strangely that way. Um, but seriously, it's they won in 1964. And then since that, so 65 to present, they've won six times. And that includes three of the last four, which gives you an idea of the regularity with which the Huskies got beat on the road against USC. It's a it's interesting because it, this was one of my takeaways. I, I kind of forgot to write that I, I, I meant to make a note of it and I didn't. The Coliseum, I feel like, is one of those classic, you know, traditional college football venues where the home team is really tough primarily because they're usually really good or there's been long stretches where they're really, really good. I can't say I was blown away by the atmosphere. It was sold out. Now, don't get me wrong. It was sold out. It was packed. It looked, the crowd looked great, but I don't know the, the, the noise factor or the, the anticipation, you know, the, at Husky stadium or at Autzen stadium or at Rice Eccles stadium, if a, a pass falls incomplete on second down, the anticipation immediately starts building for the big third down noise, right? And you just don't really get that there. They, there's a there's like a hype man who who tries to get people really loud on third and fourth downs. And I, I honestly, I think it's fairly effective. That's when the crowd gets the loudest. But I don't know. It's not like this. It, it, it if it's daunting, it's because of the history and ooh, it's USC and it's the Coliseum. It, it the atmosphere was even for a sold out full crowd, which is is hard to get there these days. Um, it it wasn't quite what what you'd necessarily expect. I don't know. The gap between how the Coliseum is portrayed as a college football venue and what it's actually like there is bigger than any other place that I've ever been to. And I'm not going to pretend like I've been all over to every single major, major spot. I've never been to a game in Clemson, but I I've been to a fair number of stadiums and the Coliseum is historic. And I, I grew up thinking LA was the Mecca of civilization. It was where my dad grew up. I grew up in a small town in Oregon. We go to LA every summer. I love LA. But the Coliseum is kind of ratty, <laughs> and it's grass, and it's and it's it. There are parts of it that are really the the walking through a tunnel and getting out to the point where you look out onto the field is pretty cool. The tunnel thing's very cool, but it's also a track venue. So at a football game, even when it's sold out, the ends of it are they don't sell tickets at one end of it because. You can't see the field from there. It's a, it's not a it's not a football specific stadium. 
it's just always struck me as really funny that people have had it in somewhat hallowed terms and it's not the Rose Bowl. Like it's it's not the Rose Bowl. It's it's the Coliseum, which is has a place in LA history and it's important in in all of that, but it's not it's not a particularly fantastic place for a game. No matter how many people have tried to tell me that. I've just never bought it or experienced it that way. It is weird not having people in the end zones or in, in it's the end zone. Really the one, weird. <laughs> the, the one end zone. Um, yeah. Now it's not every stadium in the Pac-12 that can throw six Heisman Trophy winner retired jerseys in that end zone. Um, so that part of it's kind of cool. It, that there, there is tre- there is tremendous history, and the the Olympic torch is awesome. I think I I I love that that image of it. Yeah, the torch is cool, <laughs> but it's funny, man. It's just it's it's always hilarious. I am so I'm still glowing about that game. Like maybe not quite as much as the Oregon game, but that was an awesome performance by UW's offense. Like that that might be the best performance I've seen from Washington's offense ever. It, I thought it was absolutely unbelievable how well they played. Do you think it's lost on the younger generation? And really, by younger generation, I kind of mean people my age and and younger. Um, just how big of a deal it is anytime Washington beats USC in football? Yes, it it is because SC has always been, and I I really think that this is almost regardless the talent that USC has and the talent that it's always had. Even though I tend to think that USC is an underachieving program as a whole. It is an incredibly the talent that has come through there, the 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 ability and the dude, even the annoying ass song like that always plays and it's so repetitive and it's so redundant. I, I come, God, I hate it. it. Although there was a certain point of, do you think they get sick of it when they're just giving up forty every week? Like, let's get the defense fired up and play the march. Oh, so you could get freaking trampled again yeah let's do that keep firing it up and play it as dylan johnson's running for 256 on your ass i think that's maybe why the maybe maybe why the crowd isn't isn't quite doesn't create quite the same atmosphere is because you you watch enough of those third down conversions get those third down uh attempts get converted and you you stop the the crescendo stops building because you know what's coming the enjoyment of watching them just trample USC's defense. I I probably can't overstate that. I come by my hatred of USC very earnestly. It predates my enrollment at the University of Washington. My grandfather, uh, who we called Babo, which surprisingly, it, it took me a shockingly long time to realize we called him Babo because his name was Robert O'Neill. <laughs> <laughs> Bobo hated USC. Lived in Montrose, had moved there from Nebraska, was a was a fruit wholesale person. My dad's family's not a huge, not the hugest sports family. He hated USC. So anytime USC loses, I get a special charge. Watching Washington just run over the top of their defense. It was a great game and it was close and there are all sorts of things to worry about. It was so satisfying. <laughs> was yeah, just, I think like, anybody who said... specific note. 
okay, Michael Penix Jr. is going to throw for 423 yards and four touchdowns and, and Washington will win. And he'd say, okay, yeah, that's that's about how uh, it would go if, if they were going to pull it off. No, they I mean that for them to run the ball consistently and commit to it from the start. You know, yes. this was this was not um, I think Ryan Grubb and Kalen DeBoer watched film of USC's defense and said, you know, forget about Washington's tendencies, forget about their struggles against the run. I think they looked at that team and said, we should be able to run all over these guys. And again, talked about on Monday challenging the offensive line and, and the offense generally that, hey, you're. You haven't been the best running the ball. It's it's come in spurts here and there. And it's Oregon, it was okay. But you know, if you're an elite offense, you should be able to go and run at will on on this defense. And that's what they did. And Penix, I think it's his best game of the year, which is weird to say because it was not close. I mean, it's the least productive in terms of passing yards, dude. He was so good on third and fourth down. He was unbelievable. And Washington, in general, was good there. And they, they scored some even running the ball on third down. But he was pretty much perfect on third down. It was the, the reason they win that game, certainly the 256 yards rushing by Dylan Johnson. They gave him, but in those moments, and that included, I think, a third and 18 and a third and 10. And a fourth and six. And he was just incredible in those and those are the, the difference in drives right like that sustains the drive and allows them the the reason that they win that game ultimately in a kind of comfortably is because that offense was so freaking ruthlessly efficient and that whenever they got to a sort of oh this drive might be in jeopardy of petering out here Penix was perfect that was that was really good coverage by USC on the fourth and six uh, to Odunze. That's mm-hmm. a, you, you can leave him alone. You know, that's not someone you need to cover. <laughs> it was hilarious. What are you doing? It was awesome. <laughs> that's a bad defense, man. Like that is a terrible defense. I, and here, I guess it's finally broke down there where the former USC players are coming out and saying, I think Keyshawn and Weinert have both said something like, you got to make a change in the defense. Like that's not USC, USC football, which is hilarious to me. I I do. um, It's amusing that it was Washington, one of the nation's best offenses putting up 52 on them. They got Alex Grinch fired and, and not Cal putting up 49. (laughs) Was he just like, well, let's just, let's just see how they hold up against this team. Okay, now we gotta we gotta make a change. Well, now you're the the kinder person because I looked at it skeptically and I was like, Lincoln Riley's. Well, if I wait a week to fire him, I'm not going to catch any heat for what Washington does to us. I was like, why bring in the new guy and have him face Washington? We'll just we'll just let Grinch hang around for another week and sort of the uh, he'll 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 take all the slings and arrows after this one. It is confounding. They have athletes. They have athletes up front. They have athletes in the secondary. They're they they brought in an all Big Twelve linebacker. Um, Dude, Bear Alexander any, was a player from Georgia. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. It does not make any sense that there is. But and you know, it, it, if teams were just dominating them physically up front, which frankly I think Washington did for yes. for a lot of this game, their offensive yes, line agree. was played extremely well. 
if it was that week in and week out, you'd say, oh, like maybe these guys just aren't as good as everyone thought they were, but it's it's guys misaligned. It's, it's you know, on Johnson's um, big run there late in the fourth quarter when they got the ball back, forced the punt, and, and he was at 53 yards, I think, on the toss play from their own nine. There were a couple guys, you watch that play again three, four, five, six times, and are just like, what was he doing? What was mm-hmm. Where was this guy's angle? What was his, what was his job, and why did he end up there? Why why didn't that guy pursue? You know, this just seems like you could have you could have picked a few of those out on every play. Should have checked the wristbands, see if circa 2016 Washington State Cougars their defense under Alex Grinch guys wearing different wristbands. Um, it was it was so enjoyable to watch. I for a while I wondered if it was the rope a dope strategy, where kind of like Muhammad Ali would let a guy punch himself out in the first three rounds and just cover up. If Alex Grinch was like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to let Dylan Johnson run for so many yards in the first three quarters that he's going to be too tired in the fourth. He's going to, he's going to gas out. We're just, we're going to rely on fatigue to be able to slow the, the, the Huskies down. I, it really is interesting. The progression Dylan Johnson has had this season after the first, after Boise state, I remember thinking, man, he does not look right. That is, that's that's a that's a running back at half speed. He's clearly mm-hmm. still hurt. He sits out the Tulsa game. Tybo Rogers is coming back from suspension. Cam Davis is out for the season, and you're kind of looking at Washington's running back situation like, hmm, what's what's going to happen here? Who's the guy going to be? Because if Dylan Johnson can't get healthy, man, like there's not a lot of depth there. Will Nixon's shown some some flash here and there and i think he's worthy of of definitely getting a few carries a game he he even you know the times he touched the ball on saturday i thought was pretty effective too but uh you know i I don't know that it was real clear after two weeks if they were going to have a lead back and you've just seen dylan johnson get healthier 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 more explosive get stronger he's uh he got really into acupuncture as i know they mentioned on the on the tv broadcast we talked with him for quite a while on uh, on Tuesday, and he's uh, he, he that dude's a, like an acupuncture evangelist. He's all about it. So have he, you he, have you done acupuncture before? I haven't. No, I've he done was walking it. us through the process. Yeah, it's 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 strange. Um, I've done it. I haven't done it recently, but there was a period of time I did it a lot of it for insomnia. Um, I was like, worst case scenario, this is just like a really comfortable half hour to spend with some mood music on while you just kind of hang out. But yeah, it's a little trippy. Did it did it help the insomnia? Yes. Yeah, it did. I definitely wow. definitely helped me relax. Uh <laughs> I I made a I made a cut of what I think is it's I don't know if it's the best throw Penix has ever made. It's but it's right up there with the Taj Davis. And I think I think if you put them back to back, the Taj the throw to Taj Davis last year against Oregon is more important. But I think that the degree of difficulty on this one was higher. Yeah. Penix from the pocket. Spins free. Trying to mirror David Williams' creativity. Launches the end zone. Caught. No signal. Did he hold it? Yes. That was an incredible play. He spins out of a tackle, and then he's moving toward the sideline. And when he released the ball... I thought that ball was sailing five yards out of bounds. I, I did not I did not think he was throwing back into the field of play. Because that's essentially he's he's he didn't stop. He's still moving. 
And the physics of that, when a quarterback does that, they're almost always firing it. Certainly, if the guy's going to catch it, it's going to be like back corner. Uh, I was I was amazed. And then to see how he saw Culp on that play, which is he's essentially running across the end zone behind. There are two receivers between Culp and Puck. And, and and Penix, it the the way it developed is just wild, and ha- and how he held on to it too. Um, that's twice this year where Culp has basically just like pinned the ball to his face or to what. It, and Grub talked about that on Monday. Like they they really emphasize, hey, just you know when you're securing a catch, just make sure the ball doesn't move and put put the emphasis on the ball not moving and and don't worry about anything else. And, uh, yeah, I I think it's a much more impressive play than the Taj Davis throw. The Taj Davis throw is a, it's exhibit A of what makes Michael Penix Jr.'s arm different. Um, and the, just the fact that he could he could see that route develop, read the, the nickel coming over just a little bit late, and plant and fire on a rope and, and get it there, it, you know, just from a from a physical skill perspective, that's something not a lot of quarterbacks could do. But I mean, this play, you're down fourteen seven in a game where you know you're gonna have to trade touchdowns all game. It's third and eighteen. I don't know, I guess they would have kicked a field goal there. Um yeah. at forty well, no, they were they were well within field goal range. They would they yeah, would they were at the twenty four, I think, or the twenty two. The twenty I think it was the twenty two. So they would have, yeah, they would have settled for for three, which would have been a huge disappointment. Would have given USC a chance to take a two score lead and and really put some pressure on them. Um, he evades a sack, which he hasn't had to do a lot since he's been in Washington. They have a pretty little nifty nifty spin out of the sack. Keeps his eyes downfield. Doesn't give up on the play. Um, they execute their scramble drill as far as, you know, the receivers layering and everything, um, perfectly. And he just found the guy, you know, and it was, uh, I think it was the kind of just shake your head and well, that's Michael Penix Jr. Being Michael Penix Jr. Play that, that Washington's defense had to swallow three, four, five, six times from Caleb Caleb. Williams in this Mm -hmm. game. Oh my God. He's good. He's He's an unbelievable player. Yeah, he was, there was, I think it's in the first half, and he had scrambled um, and ran out of bounds, ended up turning what should have been a sack, one of the many times that Braylon Trice kind of did everything right in terms of how to maintain containment and just wasn't able to do it because Caleb Williams is such a freak. One of the Washington assistant coaches was slapping Williams on, on his helmet in encouragement over the play like it was an awesome moment where because I would say for the first three quarters of that game you really felt like that was two of the most talented offenses in college football that were going back and forth between each other and for all of the sort of concern and hand-wringing I can have about Washington's defense there was also like dude that guy's incredible it was it was really fun to watch you know what I thought was really profound watching the the replay on tv which I didn't get to do till Tuesday night. Um, it was, I forget if it was at the third quarter break or, or maybe a little further into the fourth quarter. I, it was, it was after it was late in the third quarter. Cause it was after USC had tied it at 42 and they showed Caleb Williams on the sideline and he's sprawled out on the bench arms, 
arms draped over the bench, head leaned back, just spent. I mean, mm-hmm. exhausted. He's been running around, making plays, putting the team on his back, doing every single thing. And then the camera cuts to Michael Penix Jr. on Washington's sideline, and he's just, you know, it might as well be Tuesday afternoon. And he's <laughs> he totally cool, calm. He's it looks like he could go another four quarters if they needed. Um, you know, he, he then it was that kind of game, right? They rode their running now. If you showed Dylan Johnson in that moment, he he might have been he might have been a little gassed, but it was just struck me like Washington's offense was so in control and balanced. And, you know, USC's defense didn't present a lot of problems for them. I thought Washington's defense did present USC with with some challenges in this game. And there was six or seven times where Caleb Williams was just better. So he he defeated them. Now, um, the the scoring drive in the second quarter or was it the third quarter? Where the they third quarter one where they just 95 yards down and there. five plays yeah. and yeah. just like what that was that was just what are you doing you know yeah uh, didn't fit the run didn't have couldn't get the right personnel on the field on the the goal line play um that was bad so like there were some times when Washington's defense was out of sorts and you were kind of wondering like what in the what in the world was the the goal there um but they also you know I, I probably came away from the game feeling like Man, Washington's DBs kind of let him down in in certain situations, but you, you got a quarterback who can dance around and and buy that much time, and you know you can't cover forever, right? And those are really good receivers too. Yeah, they were. I I, I came away feeling that Washington. I'm not going to say Washington played well on defense, but I didn't think that that was some sort of they they went out and chunked it either i thought that they tried and and had a good plan for matching up and doing what they could and caleb williams for three quarters was absolutely unbelievable in in a couple of key moments and that where it would have looked a lot different if you if you're playing any other quarterback in college football washington's defense would have looked a lot better because they would have had more stops and the fact was that caleb williams played an incredible game for three quarters I've never seen a quarterback that size who is so hard to get on the ground. I mean, forget about the elusiveness. He's what is he six one six two? Um, that guy's like core and lower body strength is unbelievable. I mean, to get to have to have D linemen and, and edge rushers get two hands on him and not be able to bring him down. He's just you just don't see it a lot. And then the speed. There was a play. I'm trying to think. I think it's the second half, but it was the one where he's he ends up one on one against ZTF, and ZTF basically just shadows him. He doesn't commit either way. He does, I mean, a perfect job of contain really, where he doesn't he he doesn't lunge at him and let him run by. But you see, like even as a guy is not committing and sort of breaking down and trying to match him, that Caleb Williams is able to be just as quick if not quicker than a pretty elite edge rusher which is just a wild thing to think about when you consider that how how big Caleb Caleb Williams is too um it was i i i thought that Washington's plan against Caleb Williams was pretty damn good and that there were a lot of times where Caleb Williams was just better than 
in in instances in which Washington had had plays that they played pretty well. They Braylon Trice did not over pursue their edges. Didn't do all the things that usually against a quarterback like that, where if he's going to rush or extend plays like that, you're like guys are guys are over committing. They're blowing contain. They're not doing those. That's not what Washington's edges played exceptionally well in that game. And the fact is that Caleb Williams was so good that he overcame a lot of that. The spin move on Dom Hampton on their first drive. <laughs> Yes. By the way, I thought Tom Hampton played a really good game. Yeah, he thumped some people too. <laughs> I was a little worried about him getting he he had a couple where he kind of posed after the hits where I was worried about that, but man, yeah, he thumped. The uh I was a little surprised that the the rules expert on the broadcast the the hit out of bounds, I think it was on Rayleigh Brown. Um, in the fourth quarter where he, yeah, Hampton, Hampton shoved it out of bounds on USC sideline and then, then put his, you know, his, his arms up in celebration or whatever. They were talking about that hit like it was borderline. I know. And I, I don't see how, because he was never out of bounds. He wasn't out of bounds. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't like, oh, he, he hit him a split second after the foot went down. They could have called it like he, he was never out of bounds. He was in bounds the whole time. Like, is it because he shoved him too hard? Like, I what was what was the interpretation there? I I thought that looked like a. I mean, he it, he went flying, so maybe it looked bad. But he 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 was in bounds. He was he never was out bounds. of bounds. Yeah, don't hit him so hard. Uh, the I did notice that that was not my number one complaint about the rules expert. I think it's it's like Bill Lemonlier. After the, it's just before the Penix touchdown throw to Devin Culp, the penalty on Troy Fautanu for continuing to play where his helmet is knocked off. Um, Chris Fowler can be kind of argumentative with both with Herb Street and with the rules expert, but in that case, he was right because he pointed out on the replay that it doesn't look like Fautanu continues to play. Like he he did he didn't disappear from the field right after the his helmet was 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 removed from his head like he was not able to completely vanish and he still kind of stayed engaged but he didn't run downfield with no helmet and the rules expert goes well he did continue to play and that's why they threw the flag I was like you that's not you're supposed <laughs> to tell us whether the flag is justified or not and you're citing the presence of the flag as a reason that the decision was right like you apologist you jackass what the hell are, and so by the time we got to the second quarter or second half in the in the Dom Hampton hit I was done with that dude you know what it's interesting because four flags came in on the, the Fawatanu penalty. Yep. So clearly like every official on the field saw from maybe it's off. it's maybe it's because getting a helmet knocked off is so it's so obvious and so jarring and mm -hmm. you're not used to seeing a guy give another shove afterward. Um that's why I I would imagine that like the conference would probably say that that play was ruled correctly. Um Based on the, the interpretation of, of the rule, he his helmet came off and then he shoved the guy. Now, what Ryan Grubb said on Monday was the way they saw it was well, he was you know, he saw another defender in his periphery and he was that was maybe more of like a protective move. Yeah, I think what's he the, supposed to do? Yeah, the rule is weird. You know, you're an offensive lineman and you're you're engaged in just 
full out violence for the duration of every play. And the very rare instance where your helmet comes off, you're supposed to just instinctively disengage and, and disappear from the play. I mean, it's just not realistic. And I get that the, you know, it's, it's to protect the player. They don't want you continuing down the field and putting yourself Mm -hmm. at risk. Now you don't have a helmet on. I totally get that. But um, yeah, I, it's a play where one, I mean, it has zero bearing whatsoever on the outcome, right? Dylan Johnson scored a touchdown on that play. The the, yeah. the action it, with Fautanu was well behind him at that point. Um, it, it's a play where if it's not called, I don't think USC has any right to say, "Oh, if only." Well, if only they'd called that that continuing to play without a helmet penalty like they should have. You know, no nobody would have any sympathy for them if it hadn't been called. I guess. How did his helmet come off? Yeah, the well, as as uh, as the rules expert pretty, said, it was it was incidental. It was pretty clear that okay, is there is there a different rule for? I, I'm not aware of incidental contact to the to the head to smacking that being something that officials just overlook. Oh, he didn't mean to do that. The Seahawks DBs get penalized for hitting guys in the helmet all the time, and for good reason because they hit guys in the helmet. And it doesn't matter if you meant to or not. Like, I'm not aware of that being some sort of exception to it. The reason four flags went in there is because I'm sure that a couple of those guys, his helmet came off. Somebody obviously hit him in his helmet. And then they get together. Anytime, anytime officials, especially Pac-12 officials, start talking to each other, I get very worried. <laughs> I get very worried when there's a discussion about what they're going to call. Because I can guarantee that at least one of those flags was from an official who said his helmet came off, so obviously he got hit in the head. Um, and then the other part, like what you're saying, is complete. What's what's Fautano supposed to do there? Is he the moment his helmet comes off? Is he supposed to run the opposite direction? Because that's kind of what they're saying. I completely understand that if your helmet is removed, you cannot continue to play. You can't you can't continue to run downfield like Captain Tough Guy, and you're going to block even though you don't have a helmet. That, but that's not what he did. He got his helmet knocked off. He's about to get shoved. He put his arms up. Is he supposed to get hit in the head? Is that is that really what the goal is? No, the goal is to keep guys who don't have a helmet from sort of further injecting themselves into the play, which he didn't do. I, I'm still pissed. I'm still pissed about that bullshit penalty, and I'm even more pissed because of the idiot's explanation of it. The uh, so the the the, the Penix third and eighteen throw is kind of karmic retribution a little bit. Like it, if you're if you're a USC fan, I think it's kind of like well, they said they already scored a touchdown. You know, it got wiped out by a penalty that had no bearing on the play whatsoever. And so yeah, it's, this is this is this is fair enough. I guess that's the way to look at it. Is that if we didn't have if we if if I if we didn't have to sit through that bullshit penalty and the stupid explanation, we would not have got the benefit of this. Bill said down there in the end. Yeah. Penix from the pocket. Spins free. Trying to mirror Kate Williams' creativity. Launches the end zone. Caught. No signal. Did he hold it? Yes. <laughs> yes. I'd like a sports science. Do you remember that show? Yo, yeah. I'd like a sports science on the physics of Devin Culp holding the ball by the point as the as he's falling to the ground and the SC player is basically prying on one of his arms to the point, the grip strength was phenomenal in that. The defender is applying. 
10,000 <laughs> foot-pounds of force. I don't it's... know. I don't know how you measure force. Yeah, I think it's pounds per square inch. I think that's generally what they use. What's a foot pound? I swear to God, a foot pound is a thing. <laughs> it's when two, guys, when two guys take off their shoes and slap each other, get dap themselves up with their toes. It's a, a unit of work that equals the work done by a force of one pound acting through a distance of one foot and that is equal to about 1.36 joules. <laughs> See, I misremembered. I thought it was 1.37 joules. Silly me. <laughs> Semi-related, not to jewels, but to officiating. Why doesn't every college football game have the uh, the laser line on the the, oh. the down marker on every play? Because that That's is as definitive question. as you can get for whether a guy gained the, the yard to gain or not. Yeah, that's completely true. I'd forgotten about that until you brought it up. It was really important, too, because it changed... It changed a pretty critical sort of measurement. I, I, it was that was incredible. Every everyone should have it. I one of the most consistently frustrating facts about football replays is when they show a view from the sideline that is not lined up with the down is either before or back of the line to gain and pretend to be able to see across where the football was. I I I constantly flash back to the. Huskies game against at Notre Dame where Chris Polk had a yeah. touchdown called back. It was 2009. Um, and then Hugh Millen went out to Mount Si with a tire jack to show. <laughs> he did the physics lesson. <laughs> yeah, that was so hilarious. <laughs> to show how if you have the camera on the two-yard line instead of the goal line. <laughs> I love Hugh. I, I truly love Hugh. Because, but he went out to, he went out to the mouse side with a tire jack. <laughs> show the impact of moving where, where the where the point of perspective was um but yeah no that that camera line completely answers that question because it was from exactly when you needed to see it it should be a, a part of the measurements i was on the sideline at that point and i you know watched the pass completed and thought oh that looks that looks awfully close you know we'll see and, and they showed that that line on the scoreboard in the stadium and I, I pointed I looked up and was like whoa where'd they get that is that do they always have yeah. that that's that's crazy I've, that's I've exactly what you before. need I thought it was funny yeah. and then when they moved the chains the thing was right in front of me. it's literally it's it's a camera inside a pylon and they just set the pylon uh lined up with Ooh. with the, the the first down line that we you know where where the, the the chain is to gain the first down and they just they just stick, stick it there and but I I did think the broadcast overstated um, the necessity of that line for that particular play because I just watching it back live, I think any a, a reasonable person could have been like, "Oh, he got that looked like he got the first down," and, he, and if he didn't get the first down, he's definitely not a full yard short. Yes, I, I agree with that. I, I I thought it was pretty clear in real time, and then when they started showing the replays, I really felt they should turn it. But again, I don't have. I don't have very much trust in Pac-12 officials, especially once they start talking to each other. It is it is very worrisome for me when they speak they speak to to one another. I uh, I don't say this to imply that the concern was was not valid because I think it was, but I think we can put to bed the Penix has broken ribs 
theory. Yes, completely, 100%. I'm glad you brought that up. Quarterback sneak for a touchdown, kept the ball on a on a read option. He threw a block on uh on on the Jeremy Bernard trick play that looked like it was maybe supposed to be a pass. Could could have been. I thought he made a good decision not to not to throw it. He threw and Penix threw a hell of a block on that. Didn't do the the typical I'm just going to get in the way. Like threw a legit block in that in that I I th- I thought Penix played awesome. But yes, absolutely. My crackpot theory about I think he's really hurt is absolutely not true. He was just sick. So, he, and if he is hurt, he's he's the 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 toughest guy who's ever played with a rib injury I've I've ever seen. Uh because yeah. he uh, Yeah, I don't I don't think you call the QB sneak. I don't think you you call the read option um with uh if you're trying to protect your quarterback's broken or cracked ribs. So, we can I think Washington is is proceeding into this game against Utah with a fully healthy Michael Penix Jr. uh at least as we know. Um are you are you less concerned at all? about this final stretch here based on the results Saturday or were some of the defensive issues giving you more pause than maybe you would have had? I'm pretty excited. I wouldn't say that I have more concern than I did. Like I've always thought this is going to be, it's clearly such a tough stretch of their schedule and they're going to play some really physical teams. And I'm not sure how much here's a, I'm not sure how much, giving up 42 points to Caleb Williams and USC on the road, how much that indicates that Washington's going to have a hard time here against, against Utah and Oregon state. I, I don't, I don't know if that is sort of an indicator that, okay, there's real trouble here on the horizon. Utah and Oregon state are very physical teams, but I think it's a different, it's a different kind of challenge than USC presented um, and I, I would say that any concerns I do have about the defense, which exist, and especially about the the health of their safeties, um, are offset by that was the best run, rushing performance that I've seen Washington have. And I think that that adding that level, adding that to their offense makes me feel much better about their chances going forward. So any concerns are more than offset by the success they had running the ball. Previous all-time high by a Washington running back against USC was Bino Bryant, 158 yards in 1991. Um, for, for, for some perspective on that, there are 13 performances on Washington's all-time single-game rushing list Uh of more yardage than that just against Washington state. <laughs> so like Dylan Johnson's fifth on the all time list. Now three of the, the performances ahead of him were in the apple cup. It's, it's an impressive feat, man. I would not have told you. I mean, no matter how many problems that, that or USC's defense has had, I would not have predicted that you would have had, Dylan Johnson running for a hundred yards, let alone running for two fifty six. So great, so great. <laughs> he, someone asked him on Tuesday, like, so how did you? How's your body feel after twenty six, twenty seven carries? And he was like, absolutely terrible. <laughs> yeah, he got the hell beat out of him. I mean, that's hard. Get every one of those times he's getting guys piled on him. Plus, he's tired from running so damn far. He's a. He's an interesting back. I, 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 
don't know if if there's like an easy comparison for you know in terms of like husky history to to the the style because he's he's explosive but you wouldn't say he's the fastest guy he's pretty tough he moves piles um he doesn't have that like next gear that even someone who is pretty physical like chris polk had Mm -hmm. um but uh he's he's been effective for them he's been really good and that was it was a grown-ass man performance is a, a guy who is tough and and big and just wit- relentless in in and how he does it and when he 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 didn't you didn't see him getting chased down from behind um when he got opportunities to break away he did um it's been hard for me to know what kind of back he is cuz i don't think he's been fully healthy and I, he's probably not fully healthy after uh, after the beating he took but it was it was a it was a hell of a, it was a hell of a performance and shout out to the offensive line the offensive line blocked their ass off um that they really did they 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 dominated USC up front which i don't i don't care how clueless their defense is like those are it's not for lack of talent on, on USC's defense that that defense stinks i felt a little bit not totally but a little bit silly before the season kind of already drawing the comparison between Parker Brailsford and Nick Harris because I'm thinking like, well, but Nick Harris was a two-time first-team All-Conference guy, an NFL draft pick. He, you know, was a big-time team captain, leader for them. He started so many games, and man, I he's he's on the trajectory. He that like that dude is really good. Yes, um, he is, and he's he's been versatile. He was going to play guard this year for them. Um, and stepped in and is playing center as a redshirt freshman, and he's uh. You know, he he's not just a an undersized guy hanging in there. I mean, he he's an asset. He's been one of their best linemen. He stays at center going forward, probably right. Well, it's hard to say. I mean, it depends on how they feel about Landon Hatchet. Yeah, because he's played some guard this year too. Um, I I don't know. I, I if you feel like. Hatchet is just as effective at guard. You probably roll with the guy who's got a whole season of starting experience at center under his belt. But I think, you know, they've got the luxury of two young guys there who they, they feel really good about at center. So we'll see. Yeah. It's, I think center is one of the more undervalued positions, um, both in college football and in the NFL because of the requirements that you have like that that guy really does having a center who can understand and coordinate protections is such a huge such a huge asset um i i think brailsford has been fautanu is is going to be chosen in the first probably in the first two rounds of the draft but definitely in the first three and and i think that brailsford has been their second best offensive lineman and maybe in some cases might have I don't know what their grades are like. Might grade out higher than than Fautano, which is remarkable because Fautano is a really good lineman. I, Brailsford's been awesome. I think he got some national recognition this week. Um, yeah, he's he's been their lineman of the game a couple times. I, I, so he he's um, I'd say, and it's it's you, you can't make the direct comparison because Nick Harris played as a true freshman and, and Parker Brailsford had a redshirt season, but. He's he's ahead of the trajectory. I mean, just looking at where he's at during his freshman eligibility year versus Nick Harris. Nick Harris kind of had a little ways to go and 
had to put on some weight and all those sort of things. And maybe Parker Brailsford does too. But in terms of performance as a freshman, I mean, I think he's going to be on every freshman All-American team at the end of the season. Yeah. Well, do we want to talk about the poll or Utah? Let's, uh, we can touch on the poll briefly. I guess there's not, not the, much. It's the playoff standings. Is that what you call it? The playoff standings, which shows how stupid these standings are because it should react and adjust to Ohio State was in a dogfight with Rutgers and Washington just beat a, a ranked opponent in USC, yet nothing changes because nobody lost. Washington. I would think had the most impressive victory of all of the, well, no, Georgia beats Missouri, but I, I don't know how good Missouri is. Washington, the, there's nothing to reflect the significance of Washington's victory and, and how, the, how the standings come out, which kind of strikes me as stupid. So the big takeaway last week was that the playoff committee made clear that the top group the top tier was not the five power five undefeated teams. It was just four of them. And then Washington was a notch below that tier. Cause they, right. They talk about how they'll assess teams in groups, right? So they'll maybe start by saying, what's the top group? What's the top tier? And then we'll decide one, two, three. And they decided that those top four teams, that was the top tier and that Washington was outside of that. Why? I think it was mostly based on the Arizona State and Stanford results. But that's so... But then if you're going to do that, you need to ding other teams when they have surprisingly close results as well, right? Like, that's that's the part I don't understand, in which they're saying we're going over these things with a fine-tooth comb and parsing the 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 strength of a victory. Not based on just the opponent, but how you play. And then the next week, it's like, well, nothing changed in it. What? Something has to have changed. Washington has the most impressive victory out of if you of the five. And I, I get what you're saying, that they don't consider it the five. They consider it the four. Washington has a more impressive victory than any of those four teams in their victory over Oregon. And, and they, they just I mean, beat the, USC. Going by the CFP rankings, they have the most impressive victory in college football. And, and then to say it's behind, I think it's all going to work out. But it's still frustrating to see it. Like it's still frustrating to see the the hypocrisy in action because that's really what you what you do witness. I think it it um, it instills a a belief, or if you're a Husky fan, a, a worry maybe that if it's close, if you need the nod over a team, if it's down to Washington and Team X, that whoever Team X is is getting that last spot. Um, that won't happen if they go undefeated. If they go undefeated, Correct. they're in. That's a zero yes. anxiety situation. Uh, but if they're a one-loss conference, I mean, if they lose one of these next three games and then beat Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game, I'm probably still of the mind that they're in, but there yeah. are some uncontrollables there where what if Texas wins out? What if Alabama wins out? So Man, I don't know. It's an interesting question there of if they are – if they are a one loss, if if they lose once and that loss is in the regular season and not in the Pac-12 championship game. So if they if they lose once and win the Pac-12 title, the scenario in which they're not in, they don't go, 
is that you would have Georgia go undefeated, Florida State go undefeated, and then the Michigan-Ohio State winner wins the Big Ten championship, and then the loser of that game with only one loss could edge him, right? Like that's that would be the, the doomsday scenario where a one-loss Washington team that wins the Pac-12 title wouldn't get in. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, the the Alabama discussion's already starting, right? That and and there was some some surprise that they stayed at eight because they beat LSU, yes, and didn't move up. And I, Greg McElroy made a good point that why you know based on resume and wins, why is Oregon at six? And I I don't even disagree that Oregon should be six. Um, but that's clearly on the back of eye test and dominant performance against inferior competition. And the fact that their one loss was on the road to a team that is still undefeated. Um, but it's interesting that Oregon gets rewarded for the, the, the nature of its loss to Washington, essentially, mm-hmm. while Washington has effectively received zero benefit whatsoever for for having won that game um they had you know there there are five undefeated teams and one of them gave the only loss to the top ranked one loss team mm-hmm. and, and and it's ranked fifth out of the five to me that's that's just very and it, like i'm not going to sit here and make the argument that i definitely think washington would beat any of the four teams ahead of it on a neutral field so i'm not even saying like they've necessarily got it wrong in terms of who the best teams are but in terms of like rewarding resume it's uh it, it's strange to have ohio state number one when i don't think anybody thinks ohio state's the best team in the country uh, based on well they've got but they've got the wins right like they beat they beat Penn State and they beat Notre Dame and those teams are both ranked. And it's like, okay, so the number one team is undefeated and has wins over number 10 and number 20. The number five team is undefeated and has wins over number six and now number 21 because Arizona's mm-hmm. in the poll. Yep. And that was on the road. Yep. Um, what's the difference, you know? And, and so another another metric to keep an eye on that, that I heard them bring up yesterday maybe a little bit more than they had the week before is wins over teams with winning records. So Ohio state's nine and zero, and seven of its wins were over teams that are currently above 500. Washington only has three wins over teams that are above 500 right now. None of it's non-conference games. It's just Oregon, Arizona, and USC. I was real curious. And part of me wonders like, did they, did they leave USC out of the top 25 so that they didn't have to explain how Washington, with three wins over top 25 teams, could possibly be ranked fifth behind the other undefeated Power 5 programs. These are all all great questions. And then you look at Florida State's like, okay, if you're going to use that rationale, explain to me why Florida State's four. Yeah, their, I, their, be, their best win is against uh, a team that now has three losses in LSU. And their second best win is against Clemson, whose coach is arguing with some dude uh, online and telling him to apply for his job during his coach's show. And they have four losses. It's all of that. It's reverse engineering. They're not taking criteria and then applying it. They're grouping the teams where they want and then justifying it. Honestly, I sort of think, 
and, and again, like I don't even necessarily think this is wrong. Um, just in terms of okay, who do we think are the better teams here? But I I kind of think that they'd say, well, look, Clemson's got four losses, but come on, we know Clemson's way better than Cal. We know Clemson's way better than Stanford and Arizona State. Clemson's way better than Tulsa and Boise State and Michigan State. Is Clemson you know. is Clemson better than USC? I don't know about that. Yeah, is so LSU is LSU better than Oregon? Hell no. It's, yeah, it's L- a, <laughs> LSU's ranked 18th now, right or 19th? Yeah, they, so. they were ranked five at the time. It was a huge result, and I I do I do believe in, in that sort of. It matters how that game was seen at the time it was played, but it's it can be exhausting um, getting into the the fine parts. I I do think Washington is in really good position because obviously they clearly make it if they if they go undefeated and win the Pac-12 title. And and I do think that they'll I think they will get in if they had one loss and won the Pac-12 title. Um but it's 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 probably going to be more frustrating than I want to admit uh in the lead up to that point. The uh I also just I enjoy and, and Washington is not the only team that falls in this category. Like this is where Florida State could really make the argument. We're like, well, look, we've beaten other teams that were ranked, and part of the reason they're not ranked anymore is because they lost to us. Um, so, but, but it's but, Duke and it's I mean, they're they're, they're not even playing Louisville. They're not even playing Louisville in the regular season. Um, but from you know. From Washington's perspective, too, it is like you you win on the road and beat the number twenty team, and you basically get no credit for it because you beat them, and so now they're not ranked. Yeah, I know. And I was I was yeah. talking with somebody else recently too about like, okay, well, why like the arbitrary nature of top twenty five is a is a is a win over number twenty four that much more impressive than a win <laughs> over whoever number twenty six would be? Yeah, and and I would say like to that to that. Watch the game. Like you watched USC play the first three quarters of that game, and and that was that was an elite offense with probably half a dozen b- between six to ten guys that are going to be playing in the NFL in the next two years are on that USC offense, and and Washington stood toe to toe with them, and then and then and then separated down the stretch in the fourth quarter. It was a really impressive victory. My last thought on it is that uh, Washington is also being punished for its defense, and that was. I, I asked on the teleconference afterward, Boo Corrigan, the the um, chair of the selection committee, you know, hey, has that gap closed between what you saw as a top four, a group of top four teams, and then Washington fifth, or or are they still, um, you know, clearly a notch below? And it, it didn't really answer it directly other than saying, like, well, you can't get much closer than between four and five. I don't know if he literally meant then between Washington and Florida State or just the numbers four and five. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was, it was unclear. Um, but he, he, he mentioned he mentioned that they'd given up 42 points, 33 points twice, and 32 in a game. Um, so that, if if you're looking for justification for keeping Washington lower like their their defense is on that list for sure yeah well I can't I can't wait to watch how all of this sorts itself out especially in the Big Ten where all the other teams want to throw Michigan out of the out of the Big the Big Ten championship and now Michigan's you've got you've got reports leaking out that other teams were collectively scouting against Michigan to help each other out it's it should be it should be a, a fantastic finish to this to this season I just love that Connor Stallions was selling refurbished vacuum cleaners. 
out of a <laughs> out of a rental home. That if anybody's not read the Wall Street Journal story, there is a paragraph in there that is one of the best pieces of writing in which they talk about. So Connor Stallion's what he had a bunch of vacuum cleaners that were shipped to his house in he Ann had them out on the on the porch. And he got a complaint from the homeowners association and anybody who's ever lived in a neighborhood or in a condo building with a homeowners association can sympathize with the feeling of having your neighbors try to regulate like exactly what is done. So uh, Connor Stallions, I, I believe, I think he took the homeowners association to court or maybe they took him to court, but he then represented himself it in the case. And I'm going to read now. This is this is from the Wall Street Journal story. Stallions fought back and represented himself in Washtenaw County Trial Court in a letter written in response to a summons in October 2022. So this is last year. He wrote, quote, I suspect that whoever has chosen to sue me either one doesn't like the fact that I am a veteran or two is a Michigan State fan and knows I am a Michigan football coach and wants to draw my attention away. He had one Spartans fan in mind, quote, someone named Jeff, Jeff. End quote, who lived down the street and had a son attending Michigan State, quote, he uncomfortably questioned me about Michigan football and what goes on in our building, giving me a bad feeling about him. He definitely seemed like someone who wants to distract me with unnecessary time consuming things like this. Stallions wrote. <laughs> How much of the manifesto do you think is about Jeff? <laughs> Jeff. It was Jeff. I know it was you, Jeff. 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 Some guy named Jeff. I suspect it was someone named Jeff. You know who I think it was? I think it was Jeff. (laughs) I hear Utah. uh, I hear. Well, I, I hear our conversation this week is via proxy. It is. We have we have uh, a someone who who shouted himself hoarse in pursuit of and encouraging the University of Washington Huskies there at the Coliseum. Uh, our conversation with Ian McFarland is not actually with Ian McFarland. But if you have any questions you'd like answered or have some ideas that you're trying to develop, some sales leads, a sales team that you're looking to staff, it's worth a conversation with Ian McFarland at ipmcfarland.com. And here's his conversation with us. Hi, this is Annie McFarland. I am seven. My dad is a dummy and decided to yell at the driest time of year, so he lost his voice. First, he wanted to give a shout-out to Spencer Hawes for sitting in the UW section for being a nerdy fan, singing the fight song, and clapping with the band, and mostly using it for insanely long arms to get the crowd pumped up at key moments. He's become an ultimate Seattle sports fan, and that's great. The question this week is in the middle of... No, I can't say it. Um, The question of the week is health in the middle of the defense. Bardens can move, but if UW can continue to pressure from outside and have one person... There to contain my dad doesn't think Utah has the weapons to score. But that's a big if. The question is, are the defense, are the defensive tackles and safeties healthy enough to pull this off? That was very well done. It certainly was. I uh, I have so it sounds like Tuli Latuli Nasanoa 
should be able to do more this week. He played 14 snaps against USC, and and Chuck Morrell seemed like they they think he'll be able to do more against Utah. The penetration he had on one of those plays was absolutely like get out of your seat, shout worthy. Um, that was the, yeah the the 25 yard touchdown pass that uh, that Caleb Williams threw on fourth and one. Yeah, yes. that, that was the that was the ultimate like Chuck Morrell just kind of threw up his arms like like what do you you know they, it, they're running, it was he's like they're running QB power slash T pipe which is the pop the Tebow pop pass which I, he's like that's what they're running and he's like the guy who threw the touchdown pass he he said it's kind of funny he's like he's like the twelfth option on that play the guy he threw it to which is just Thule just wrecks the play and Caleb mm-hmm. Williams is like oh uh oh let me just let me just put it up to this guy oh touchdown. So, but if he did. Thule, it was, it was if a, Thule had been less disrupt, slightly less disruptive, it actually might have helped Washington because he so thoroughly mashed the play that Caleb Williams clearly had to rip everything up and just drop back and try to improvise. So he might be able to play more. I don't know. I don't know about safety. I'm. I kind of think they've got what they've got. Maybe mm-hmm. Cam Fabiculanen. Um, Asa Turner's been ruled out already which makes me wonder when they might get him back. Um, Fabiculon and traveled. I think he played one snap. I think it was on USC's first touchdown, I want to say, on like a goal line play. So he maybe was in the same situation Thule was at Stanford where bring him, suit him up, emergency, you know, something happens to somebody else, we'll see type of thing. They started Thaddeus Dixon at corner um, and moved Mish Powell back to safety, moved Jabbar Muhammad over to Husky. I kind of feel like you might see the same this week. Uh, Vincent Nunley's back, so you know maybe maybe he plays more. They they maybe they'll have a few more options than they did last week, but I think they're still piecing it together. Um, you don't have a fully healthy Cam Fabiculon. I mean, he's not. I don't. I don't know that he's in a place where you could play him sixty five snaps or whatever. We'll see. You know, maybe the maybe the week makes a difference. Um, it's it's all about not letting Utah get loose for 250 rushing yards. I mean, yep. Jaquindon Jackson is a dude. I thought coming into this season, he was like a an all conference type um, candidate. I think he's been hurt a little bit. You know, obviously they've got Vaki who who will will play both sides, and they just they they'll they've always gonna, they're going to find some running back. I mean, they they Utah's <laughs> always just absurd. got a stable of dudes, so. You know, it's are are you gonna are you gonna let them move the chains? Are you gonna let them get into third and manageable, third and short with their running game, or are you gonna get them behind schedule and force them to throw the ball? I think if you're forcing them to throw the ball, you know, Bryson Barnes, credit to him, man, he's got a lot of moxie. He wanted the Coliseum, and they'll never be able to take that away from him. Um, but this is not a passing game that should beat a nine and O team at Husky stadium at a sold out Husky stadium in November. So don't, don't get run all over. And I, I think you're in good position to win the game. That was the best game that Washington's defensive line has played this season. And that sounds weird to say because USC scored 42 points. That was the best game that their defensive line, the most consistent play that they've gotten off the edges. Um, I, I, th- I thought Washington, I thought that that, that was the best their defensive front has looked this season. And I think that bodes pretty well. I think that's a stronger sign than the worries that you have about, about the middle of the secondary specifically. Um, Utah's the only 
school that hasn't scored 40 points against USC in the past month. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Wow. Yeah. Everybody else has done it. Since it turned October, everybody scored 40 points against USC except Utah. And that's, that's going to be that if, if Washington doesn't get to 40 points on offense, I, I would say that there's that the game Utah wants this game to be in the twenties. I, I think Washington's offense is going to be better than that. And I think their defensive front will, will hold up. Um, but it's going to be it. You just, you know exactly what Utah wants to do, which is entirely different from USC, which is Utah. Utah wants to outmuscle you. They want to turn it into an, an absolute sort of the no punching in the face, just gut shot game where you just take turns slugging each other in the gut. I'll be interested to see if Washington tries to commit to the running game similarly uh, like they did last week. If it's, you know, if that's the challenge rather than, hey, you know, last week if the message was you're flat out better than the guys across from you, go prove it. This week is it, hey, these are the champs. You know, and I do think they talk about that a lot. Right? There's nothing that Kalen DeBoer and this coaching staff respect more than like winners and mm-hmm. the two-time defending conference champion, like they've got their full attention. And I think they talk to their team about that. And they, that goes back to fall camp um, and, and players talking about, and Jamarcus Shepard, you know, talking about, Hey, last I checked, you know, the trophy belongs to Utah and Washington wasn't even in the game last year. So what is, what is Washington, you know, what did Washington really accomplish last season? It was fun and it felt good and you won 11 games, but you, you weren't the champions of anything. Um, and I think that's been kind of held out as a carrot for a while now. I'm sure it's come up this week. And I, I wonder if from a run game perspective, if the challenge becomes, Hey, these, these are the guy, if you really, you think you can run the ball, you think you're a physical offensive line, you think you're a physical offense. These are the guys you have to do it against because this is as physical and as tough and as disciplined and well coached of a defense, even with Lander Barton out all the guys, I mean, that's the thing, man. It's not just Cam Rising. Like, this is a banged-up team. Lander Barton is the younger brother of Cody Barton. Lander Barton is a problem. <laughs> Watching that guy earlier this year, like, he is he's a he's a maniac. Um, yeah, they are. It's a banged-up team. I, I like what you're saying about the run game. I also wouldn't mind them throwing to Roma Dunze and Jalen Polk. And I, uh, I would imagine Jackson they'll, some. They'll, put in, they'll put in some of those plays. I would guess. <laughs> Do some of that. Don't have to. Don't have to fight the fight. Fight the fight the battle on their terms. Um, they might again. Uh, they might again draw up the fourth and six play where the defense does not cover Romo Dunze. <laughs> Alex Grinch, everybody. I, I think Grub will try to die. Alex Grinch. Yeah, I I didn't real. I don't pay for ESPN Plus. Maybe I shouldn't admit that, but I don't. Um. And they mentioned on the broadcast that Mel Kuyper has Odunze as the number seven overall pick on his big board. Yeah, he's uh, he's shot up the big board. The board doesn't need to be too big before you get to Romo Odunze. He'd, he'd make That's, a small board even. Man, number seven? Wow. It seems like, I mean, between him, Harrison, and Malik Neighbors, uh-huh. it's just kind of, who do you who do you prefer? You know, I mean, yeah. Harrison's probably closer to a consensus like wide receiver one, but I I don't know that I see like a ton of difference between those guys where you'd be stunned if one team went with any one of those over the others. 
Uh, should we pick some games? Yeah, let's do it. You had a big week last week. I did. Although you continue to be absolutely, utterly unable to correctly forecast Arizona State games. I know. God. Utah was 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 giving 11, and Utah won by 52 points against, against Sparky. <laughs> yeah, uh, they covered. Yeah, they did. Uh, I fair, went three and three. Trenton Bor- Go ahead. Trenton Borgay did uh, get hurt in that game. So that is that is true. Uh, I went three and three. You went four and two. Uh, the the only misses you had were Arizona State and OSU. Uh, the the saddest the saddest game we both picked correctly was Stanford ten, Wazoo seven. Yeah. <laughs> you could have you could have let me take. 300 guesses on the final score of that game and I would not have told you <laughs> that it was going to be 10 to 7. 7 points at home against that Stanford team. Oh my wild. Goodness. That Just wild. Bad. Not only that, but Stanford you lose and you give up 10 points to Stanford. <laughs> that at home. God. Oh. Oof. Oh. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh this week we start off with Arizona at Colorado. The the Fighting Fishes, the most surprising success in the conference this year. And that's even given that they had a little bit of buzz coming into the year. Uh, now ranked, favored by 10.5 uh, against Colorado. Ooh, give me the Fishes. I feel like yeah. I'm I'm riding that train until they, they prove that I shouldn't. Uh, you know, Oregon State uh, should have covered, should have covered in Boulder last week and didn't let Colorado hang around a little bit. And who knows if the change at offensive coordinator uh, will be a little more fruitful this week. I don't know, but um, I gotta I'm, give it up. I'm, I'm taking, I'm taking the fishes. Did you hear Dion get grilled about that? I did. Yeah. Dion, Dion handles that stuff really well. He's able yeah. to sort of deflect and not engage with it. Like a very accusatory tone from a reporter where you would expect that, sort of an egomaniac coach would kind of get in his feelings and go Dabo Sweeney style and, and encourage him to apply for the job of head coach. Uh, and he, he just kind of like, yeah, I'm not going to get into that. I'm not going to say bad things about the the offensive coordinator or really tell you about what my feelings were about the switch. I As the year's gone on, there are definitely things that Dion does that I don't like. I don't like how aggressively he references the transfer portal and getting different players in there. But he's, man, he's been overall, I've, I've thought, like a really impressive head coach It sort of from start to finish this season. Yeah, Dion doesn't get baited by, no. by reporters. Um, Dion has his, you know, he has his goals and, uh, and his, his objectives, I think, when he speaks with the media, and he's going to hit them based on, you know he's in control, so yeah. I think that that was another example of that. Whether in that, yeah, I still I don't I don't get it. I don't get this decision he's made with with Sean Lewis. Um, but yeah, he wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna be baited into yelling at anybody about it or saying mean <laughs> things about Sean Lewis. Yeah, it's it it is interesting because I I mean I definitely believe that a college owes when they recruit a, a you, you shouldn't threaten kids scholarships. Or try to run them off. If if they've accepted a scholarship to your school, even though they are renewable year to year, I do think that you have an obligation to them. I don't like how Dion's handled that. But outside of that, the other thing is I've been generally impressed with how he's 
handled things as an administrator. All right, we both got Arizona there. Utah at Washington. Uh, Huskies giving nine and a half against a Utah team that is the defending conference champion and just scored 55 points. Yeah, see, I I still got that Oregon game in my mind. Um, that was in Salt Lake. Yep. I Instinctively, I, I don't want to make a bet, make a pick that assumes Utah's going to ever lose by double digit points. Mhm. But I don't know. I feel I I kind of I just kind of feel like Washington um is maybe it's a weird thing to say cuz they haven't lost a game since last October, but maybe turned a corner a little bit at USC and got past the whatever the weirdness was against ASU and Stanford and getting healthier with the the flu or whatever and you know Penix looked really sharp and um, I think that concerns about their defense are warranted, but Utah is not built to exploit them necessarily with with their quarterback situation and everything. So, I I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Washington to cover that. I'm taking the dogs too because I do believe that that was it. It won't go down as an upset. USC isn't even ranked, but that was that was a landmark victory. Um, the way they won it, the way they outlasted him, the way they played. I, I, I like Washington in this game to cover. Wazoo at Cal is the tightest spread we've seen in more than a month in the Pac-12. Cal is giving one. Oh, I'm taking Cal. Uh, think, <laughs> I mean, I think Wazoo is just completely demoralized. They've yeah. lost five straight. And they've, that's not just they've lost five straight, man. They've lost to Arizona State and Stanford in back-to-back weeks. Brutal. You know the stan the Stanford loss is tough to figure. It's I think Cal's better than both those teams. Yeah, a month and a half ago, like if you had told me that the Cougs coach was going to end up at Michigan State, I was like, oh, that I could see that happening. the The dramatic turn that this season's taken for Wazoo is 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 tough to figure. I still I think Wazoo is going to win this game. I think mm-hmm. I think Cal is better, and there's nothing that says that Wazoo is 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 at all approaching making a turn, but I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with my heart here with the Cougs. Stanford at Oregon state, uh, Oregon state, uh, is, is favored by 21 points. Hmm. That's too many. Uh, I think, (laughs) I think Stanford's on just enough of an upward trajectory. Plus Oregon state's got this, this, uh, Pacific Northwest in season tournament, uh, coming, coming the up, Northwest uh, Championship? Yeah, with, with Washington and Oregon in back-to-back weeks. Everybody knows that's what's going to determine their fate. That's what's going to determine their, their season and whether they have any hope of playing in Las Vegas. Uh, so there's a little bit of a trap game. Stanford's getting better, right? I mean, they're just they're getting better. Uh, Ao Manor uh, is, is, is healthy, or at least he played at Wazoo, so that's a good sign. Um, 21, just that feels like a lot. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Stanford to cover that. Go in Oregon State because I think back-to-back weekends in the Northwest for Stanford. Stanford certainly feeling good about itself, but that's not a good sign that you only scored 10 points. Not a good sign that you only scored 10 points at Wazoo. Uh, I think Oregon State's covering this. Arizona State at UCLA. UCLA favored by 17. Yeah, another just I have I have no clue what to think about this game. <laughs> UCLA just kind of you know out for a out for a a late afternoon stroll to it to another seven or eight win season um yeah 
there's at no point. So when Oscar De La Hoya used to box, I used to say it was fundamentally perplexing because at the end of a fight, based on his post-fight interview, you could never tell if he won or lost. He had the same smile plastered to his face. You could never tell. Chip Kelly's got a little bit of that going on. It is really hard to tell based on Chip Kelly's halftime and post-game interviews, the result of the game. And unlike where Oscar De La Hoya, I think he was just plastered his PR face on. I'm just not sure how much Chip Kelly really cares. Yeah, so I, I'm going to take UCLA. I think I think ASU is just too beat up. Um, I still still think they're in a better place as a program than they were when the year started. Uh, but I I'll I'll take UCLA to cover that. I think UCLA is going to win this game. I think Arizona State's defense, the fact that the the Bruins scored ten points against the Fishes last week, the Fighting Fishes held them to ten. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to take, I, I think UCLA will win, but I think Arizona state's going to cover. And now we come to a game in which if you're really interested in what's best for Washington, if you're really interested in what's best for Washington, you're rooting for Oregon and USC at Oregon. It is in Washington's best interest to play as highly ranked an Oregon team as possible in the PAC 12 championship game. And See, I simply I, cannot bring myself to to root for Oregon. I can't. I can't. Oregon favored by 15 against the Trojans. I think objectively the better result would be for USC to win that game. Oh, really? Because if Washington beats Utah, um, USC's still got pretty firm control over getting into the Pac-12 championship game. And wouldn't you rather deal with USC? If USC beats Oregon, they've got the head-to-head tiebreaker over Oregon Utah would have three losses assuming Washington beats them so they're out um, Oregon State do we think that they're going to beat both Washington and Oregon probably not so that'd be a third loss for them uh, Arizona's the the uh, the other contender there with two losses but USC beat them they've got the head-to-head so I, I think the you know Washington fans should no longer be concerned about strength of schedule at all. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I think so. Because what if, they, what if they lose a game, though? If they lose a game, they're going to have to win the Pac-12 championship. Yes, to get. I think to they have in. to win. The, I, I think they have to win the Pac-12 championship to get in, regardless. To win and the I, Pac-12 to to win the Pac-12 championship with one loss, they're going to have to get at least one more top twenty-five win. Um, but these next two weeks, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And then if USC pulls it off, beats Oregon, beats UCLA, and gets into the Pac-12 championship game, they're going to be back in the top 25. And I think Washington would get credit for beating them twice. So I, I, I see what you're saying. And that beating USC for a second time is, is going to be easier or less, you're less prone to lose that game than beating Oregon a second time, given how Oregon's played. I just... If there is the possibility that this is going to come down to a beauty pageant, two wins over Oregon is going to look better than two wins over a USC team that would then have four losses. I just I think your better route is going undefeated and facing a USC team that you match up better with okay. in the championship game than Oregon. That's just my but you know, if 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 you if USC were to get there, 
that means that they would have probably proven that Oregon isn't quite the team that everybody thought they were anyway, right? So there's kind of a there's kind of a conundrum there. Um, but yeah. anyway, what what was the spread? The spread is fifteen. <laughs> um, Oregon's favored by fifteen. Yeah, I'm I'm taking Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> and after all that i'm taking usc <laughs> because i don't want to ever bet on oregon you could you could tell me that it would it if it came down to an oregon victory for washington to advance then i then i i'd i'd root for oregon but i wouldn't feel good about it but short of that there's no way that you're going to see me hoping for oregon to to win no matter how much i hate usc <laughs> Uh, I just want to see the Ducks lose. I'm still pissed yeah. they lost that game to Texas Tech. I'm still pissed they covered that game to Texas Tech. Why aren't they getting penalized for that bull? The college football playoff committee. Oh yeah, there are six because we don't remember games that were played in September. Dumbasses. Had, uh, they had their quarterback still then. I think that's a factor. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I do like to to see the Oregon propaganda coming out of like, hey, Bo Nix has played better. Should he win the Heisman? <laughs> nope. He's still got a shot. No, he doesn't. Yeah, he's got a shot. You think so? Vegas. Who's the favorite now? It's J.J. McCarthy, right? I think it's Penix. Oh, is it? I, I heard yeah. people over the weekend saying that it was it, he's was, the, it, he, it was McCarthy. Penix is the betting favorite. Okay. Um, what do you... What if they forbid Michigan the rest of the season? If the punishment was Michigan couldn't use hand signs anymore, they had to do it all by shouting. Like you can't use any sort of sign language to communicate your plays. You have to you have to say them audibly. Like either send it in with the shuttle or do that. Do you think that would be a fair punishment? Well, it turns out that like other teams have been decoding their signals and sharing them with opponents. Which and... is hilarious. <laughs> I can't even figure out who's right and who's wrong in this. I just know it's that great. Connor Stallions is a weirdo. And they all hate each other. They, everybody yeah. hates Harbaugh. Everybody hates Harbaugh, which is the least shocking development ever for anybody who has ever spent a single sliver of time around Jim Harbaugh. Has there ever been a coach like him who has been as successful as he has at every stop with without being able to stay at any of those stops because of the way he he, he rubs people? Maybe Buddy Ryan, but Buddy Ryan wasn't that successful. Buddy was really good at defense, but Buddy was Buddy was very difficult. Like he couldn't he couldn't maintain relationships with people. Um, I can't think of any other coach that I would say is that successful and that difficult to deal with. Are you uh, Are you pleased with the twelve thirty Pacific time kickoff this week? Yes. Yes, and then it's not too bad the next week. The next week is is a four thirty Pacific, right? Yeah, four thirty. So yeah, I always wait to make my when they're playing at Corvallis. I always wait to make my travel arrangements till I know the kickoff time, so I can I can cut a a hotel night off on on one end. So I'll probably drive down the day of since it's four thirty. Yeah, um, maybe stop in Longview at some point on the on the way down there on the way back. Check out we'll the see. squirrel bridges. Yeah, just gander upon them. <laughs> Maybe make some recommendations to the city council for where the next one should go. Provide some tasty beverages, tasty cool beverages to some of the road crew. Callitz yeah. County. Oh yeah. Ice ice cold Coca-Cola in a glass. <laughs> <laughs> we'll ah. talk to you next week.